Welcome to this week's episode of Seen and Heard, Industry Updates for the Modern Dairy Family. I'm Darby Toth, a technical field services representative with Western United Dairies, and this week we're excited to bring you an update on all things COVID, including vaccines, COVID in and out of the workplace, as well as some legal issues to think of when making COVID-based decisions. We're also bringing you our market update with Tiffany LaMondola of Blimling. Hi, I'm Jessica with PG&E. 811 is a free service to keep our community safe. Before you do any digging, PG&E will mark your gas and electric lines so you don't hit them. Call 811 before you dig. To learn more, visit pge.com safety. Hi folks, hope you had a great week. We had quite a few reports drop, um, some updates on milk production, inventory levels, and another global dairy trade event. August milk production was reported at uh, up just 1.1%. Uh, that came in below most expectations, which were closer to at least one and a half or more. Uh, that is the slowest growth rate we've seen since June 2020. Probably most importantly, though, all eyes remain on cow numbers, uh, really trying to see signs of any structural changes um, you know, beyond the seasonal kind of lows that we're seeing through the summer. And indeed, USDA reported a third consecutive month of decline in U.S. cow numbers, down 19,000 head for the month. Um, however, there is still a lot of work to do. We are still up 106,000 cows, more than August of last year. Moving over to inventory figures, the report was kind of split. I would say the data skewed bullish for butter. We saw a much larger than average drawdown of stocks between July and August. And that drawdown also pulled inventories 1% behind 2020 levels, uh, something we haven't seen in a while. Cheese fi figures, um, though, leaned a little more bearish. We saw American style stocks increasing 6 million pounds. Um, that contrasts to the normal 19 million pound decline. Oh, moving over to global dairy trade, um, it was another positive event. Um, prices, at least for powder, um, were higher. However, the results out of there did little to propel our domestic markets here. Uh, we saw a little follow through with non-fat dry milk. We ended up a penny higher on the week, um, but nothing too significant. We are hearing from contacts that dryers are picking up a little bit more milk as temperatures cool and milk production kind of bounces back from those summer lows across the countryside. Um, but to balance that, we're hearing Mexico's back in buying a bit of product. So the same, uh, you know, things there seem fairly balanced, which seems to be, you know, the case across most of our markets. Uh, mixed outcomes over in cheese. We lost eight and a half cents on blocks down to 170.75 for the week. Um, but the cheaper barrels that have been persisting seem to bring in some additional buy side. We gained nine cents in the barrel market up to 160. Um, that dramatically um, improved that huge block barrel spread that we had been seeing for quite some time. Uh, down to about, you know, 10 cents or so. We're hearing international cheese sales are pretty steady, although exporters still are facing those delays and congestions at U.S. ports. So a little bit hard to move product these days um, has been the case for a while. Um, we're also hearing strong food service demand and retail sales, though, um, are, are kind of helping that domestic demand front. 
Finishing off the markets in butter, um, we lost six and a quarter cents this week, um, down to 172.75. There's a lot of products still finding its way to Chicago, um, kind of weighing on those spot markets. Uh, watching grains, we are at 10% of the corn harvest complete for the week ending September 19th. Um, that's up from 4% the week before and compares to a five-year average of 9%. So running right around average on our corn harvest. On soybeans, we are 6% uh, of the crop out of the field compared to 5% this time last year and 6% on average. Hope you have a wonderful week. Yosemite Farm Credit is the farmer's choice for agriculture financing. As a farmer-owned cooperative, we are dedicated to serving our neighbors in the agriculture community with financial products and services tailored to your operation and backed with the relationship you can trust. Whether you're purchasing real estate, making improvements to the dairy, or wanting to purchase or lease equipment, we're here to help our members prosper. Visit our website at yosemitefarmcredit.com to find a branch location nearest you. I'm here with Kevin Piercy from our friends at Ramundo's office. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us today, Kevin. Not a problem. Thank you for much, uh, so much for having me on, Darby. Well, um, in the world of COVID, we are still swirling around in that world, unfortunately. I think we all wish we could say that, that we didn't have to, but we brought you on today because you're going to give us a quick rundown of what's going on in that world and let producers know that things may be, there's really not any definite answers about quite a few things, but we just want to keep our listeners updated. Yes. Okay. So um, one kind of piece of good news I, I can give right now, at least, is uh, so we, we should all be aware of Labor Code 248.2. And that is the California uh, law that was enacted in uh, March of this year that um, it made the uh, COVID-19 uh, sick pay for all employers with 25 uh, or more 25 employees. Uh, they have to, to be able to provide up to 80 hours of, um, of sick pay for specifically for uh, COVID-19 related reasons. Well, the good thing for us for, for employer now is that law is set to expire on uh, on the 30th on that this month. So September 30th is is you know it's done, which is uh, good for right now. Unfortunately, um, we don't know whether or not they're going to extend this just like they did uh, this year. This law itself is an extension of the uh, of California's federal or California's um, the, our own state version of the federal uh, uh, COVID-19 sick pay that happened last year. So when the Fed said, "Hey, everyone who has uh, fewer than 500 employees or 500 fewer employees, that you have to provide COVID-19 sick pay," and then California said, "Wait, wait, wait, wait. how about everybody?" And so we said, okay, well, also now, if you have more than 500 employees in the state of California, you also have to do this. So, okay, well, then that expired at the end of 2020. 2021 rolls around. We had three months of no COVID pay. But then this, uh, you know, this law got passed and it got retroactive back to the beginning of the year. So that's something that 
that we already have seen from this uh, from from the California government so far is perfectly willing to retroact make this retroactive that you would have to go back and you have to pay those 80 hours of COVID sick pay. So there is a there's a distinct possibility that if they do create a a new law that it will um, either you know will extend this uh, the their current COVID sick pay or uh, reestablish it at some other time. It, it was likely that it'll be backdatable. Um, just to, to reiterate, though, for, for all the listeners, because we, we do get a lot of these kind of questions of, well, what, what does it what does it actually provide for? And the COVID pay is for all uh, employers with 25 uh, or more than 25 employees who are unable to work or telework due to the following COVID-19 uh, related reasons. Uh, the first is that that is important. They, they are unable to work or telework. So if you have um, some office workers, obviously, you know, this is, you know, doing dairies and stuff. A lot of, a lot of the work you can't telework, but if you have like some office workers who are doing some billings and things like that, and they are able to telework, if you can set them up at home, uh, and they were able to, well, then there's a, there's a way that they could continue to do their, do their job. And then, then they don't have to, um, they don't qualify necessarily for the COVID day, but the, the following reasons. So if you are subject to a quarantine or an isolation order, or if you're advised by a, uh, your healthcare provider to uh, self-quarantine uh, because of COVID exposure, um, or if you are experiencing symptoms of COVID-19 and are seeking a medical diagnosis, um, if you are attending an appointment to get a vaccine, a COVID-19 vaccine, uh, so this one specifically, if you are experiencing the adverse side effects from, the, from uh, the, your COVID-19 vaccine, you can use your uh, your COVID nineteen sick pay, or up to to cover at least ten days or eighty hours of those, um, you know, uh, so long as you're experiencing the adverse side effects from your vaccine, or if you are caring for um, for family members that are subject to quarantine, and then finally, if your um, if your ch child has uh, if their school or childcare facility has been closed due to COVID-19 on the premises. And it's, that one's actually really specifically, it's no longer that it's just closed, but it's closed for a new COVID exposure type of situation. So um, those are the reasons of why you would be able to use the sick pay. And then you could get up to 80 hours for full-time employees for that. Um, another one that we get a lot of questions on right now is what's going on with this federal mandate? Uh, you know, President Biden came out uh, the other day and he was talking about, hey, I'm, I'm making this new, you know, I'm, I'm making a new order that everyone has to, um, if you have 100 or more employees, you have to mandate that your employees get vaccinated or they have to be tested semi-weekly. And so at least, you know, at least twice a week, you have, you know, your employee, your unvaccinated employees will have to be tested and uh, that's apparently going to be enforced through uh, through OSHA, through federal OSHA. Now, as of this morning on uh, September 21st at nine o'clock, uh, still have not seen any any guidance from OSHA. So we don't know when that's coming down the pipeline. We do know that it is coming down the pipeline. There's obviously there's been some uh, some of the states have have said that they are going to challenge this mandate, and so there's. There's going to be a lot of uh, legal um, kind of uh, uh, murky ground going on of what, what's going to happen with this. 
but for the time being, we can expect that uh, there will be some sort of mandate coming down from OSHA saying that employers must either vaccinate, uh, have, require that their employees be vaccinated or that they test their employees uh, twice a week for COVID. Um, so we get a, we've been getting a lot of questions then of, okay, well, if they're saying that, can we do it? It's, um, it's a murky question. Um, it's not entirely clear, but more, it, but realistically, it's not, it's not the, the, the right question. I think the, the more correct question that employers should be asking is not, can we, but should we, um, not on any sort of philosophical, political type of grounds, but specifically from a legal standpoint is employers need to understand, uh, the government's the one who, you know, who they're, they're not going to be sued on this because they're not mandating that the specific employee gets gets vaccinated they're not saying hey you got to do this right now and the vaccine manufacturers they have immunity until 2024 from any sort of civil lawsuits uh, from you know adverse reactions from these so we do know that there are while extremely rare there are you know there are definitely side effects that happen from you know from the vaccines and so okay if something does happen and you mandated that your employee take this as a part of their job, then that employee, they're not going to have very many other, other, you know, avenues to go. They can't go after the, the federal government. They can't go after uh, the vaccine manufacturers. They're only going to left with one other person that has some deep pockets that can afford to pay for their, all of their bills and then give them their compensation for, you know, for their injury that they had. And that's going to be the employer. And that's something that, that a lot of people haven't thought about. Um, they said, okay, well, we can do it so we can protect all of our employees. Like, okay, well, we also got to figure out how we're going to protect the business because if we mandate this, then, then we are kind of accepting that, hey, we're opening ourselves up to some, some potential liability if something bad goes on. Uh, not saying that it, that it will, but if it does, and it's, it's, a, it's, a tricky, it's a tricky spot to be in, uh, to say the least. I think it's just um, something that's that's super important for employers to think about. Like you said, that's maybe not something they consider when they think about, you know, mandating it for their employees. But to put it that way, where you really think about where can the legal recourse go and, and who is someone that could they could basically come after, for lack of a better term, you know, it, it makes, think, hopefully it makes people just weigh, weigh the decision. Yeah, yeah. And, and actually, um, even even let's let's take off the whole any any sort of injury from the vaccine right any sort of any sort of you know serious side effect any of that let's say that doesn't happen uh we're still looking the, the situation is this in california we have enough vaccines to to get basically all the unvaccinated people left we you know if you want to if you want to get the vaccine you can get the vaccine if you don't want to get it don't get it well, you know, ask your, ask, go talk to your medical doctors, right? I mean, figure out what's best for you. Well, okay. You have an entire segment of, of people, of a population in a state who have decided to not get a vaccine. They get, or get specifically the COVID-19 vaccine. And now you're, you're going to tell your employees, you say, hey, um, I know you've had the opportunity for uh, the last nine months to get this vaccine, and you've you've specifically have chosen to not get this this uh, this new COVID nineteen vaccine this entire time, 
And now I'm telling you, if you want to keep your job, keep food on your table, take care of your family, um, do all that. If you want this, you have to take the vaccine now. now. Okay, maybe your employees will, maybe they won't. And that's whether or not you're going to fire them or, or try to accommodate them. That's a whole separate issue. But what you just did is you took an employee who has been perfectly fine, has been coming into work, been doing their job, uh, content with their job, and their only their only uh, thing has been this whole time they don't want to have the vac- the this new COVID nineteen vaccine, and you just mandated that they take it, knowing that they don't want it. They've had the opportunity and they just said no. So what you just did is you created a, a disgruntled employee, and. One of the things that we we know uh, is happy employees, generally speaking, don't sue their employers. Disgruntled employees do. Yeah. Disgruntled employees will start going out of their way to look for any sort of violation, um, you know, that they could sue under. I mean, the California legal code, you know, labor code is huge. And this is a, this is an extremely large, you know, dense labor code that, it's it's very difficult to be perfectly in compliance with the with the California Labor Code, which means if you have a disgruntled employee now searching out and looking for any possible reason that they could sue, because hey, if they're going to lose their job, because let's say that they ultimately decide that they're not going to, and they they would rather call your bluff on this one. Okay, well they're thinking if I'm going to lose my job anyway, well I might as well figure out some what I'm what I can do, and. Uh, there, I do. I can sue my employer over this. Well, that's that's going to be a huge issue. Um, that's and that's another you know aspect of this of these vaccine mandates that a lot of employers haven't considered. Is it's not just okay. What happened? Can I can I make them take this vaccine? Okay. Well, it happens or not if they have an adverse side effect. That's that's all good to consider. You, you should consider what happens in those. But realistically, is you just you're, you're setting up grounds to have an employee be very upset and then, you know, potentially losing their job. And then they get to now spend however long looking for any sort of violations that they can. Uh, that's a, that's going to be a, a huge risk for a lot of employers. What we think the best, you know, what I think the best recourse on this is, is let's not make it mandatory. Okay of let's instead try, if, if you want to, if you want to see that your all of your employees get vaccinated for this, you know, for COVID-19, then how about we try to incentivize it? You know, that it's, it's not a, everybody has to, you know, to, to, to toe the line and you, you know, if you don't do this, you're not going to get all of your benefits and, and privileges and rights as, as an employee. No, no, no. Everything stays the same. You don't, you don't lose any pay. You don't lose vacation. You don't lose, you know, any sorts of any regular times off, any of those kind of things. But what you can do is say, well, if you get it and you can present, you know, show us that you prove a vaccination, um, then we can do uh, maybe a, a three-day weekend. You know, give give those employees a, a, an additional day off, or give them, um, you know, some small monetary, you know, bonus type of thing. And this way, you can incentivize people to to take the vaccine, and then you're good. Um, but even then what I just said, right, is, is, uh, going to be difficult because show proof of your vaccination, right. Or that you're, that you're fully vaccinated. Well, what does that mean anymore? Cause now we're, we're talking about third doses 
in some cases or you know these booster shots and stuff like that and so well what's it mean so well do i don't do i only have to show you um my johnson and johnson or maybe my moderna because pfizer is the only one that's actually been fda approved that you can mandate at this point so um what but i've only had moderna and now you're trying to make me take the pfizer one well have you know we don't know also you know how those are going to mix and all that kind of stuff well what if i have these and do i need to have a booster of pfizer to to boost up or maybe if i have pfizer do i need a booster of moderna or j and j and so that that muddles up the entire thing of okay well when can we consider employees to be fully vaccinated now is that's that's actually coming into question as well and then it's, okay but is there any efficacy for, I mean, we're, we're looking at trying to protect our workforce, right? And so we're trying to make sure that our employees are safe. Well, what about natural immunity or anything? Is that like, we, we have all these different avenues that we have to consider to protect our employees. And just continue, um, to, continue to muddy, you know, the waters. Yes, it, it, keeps, it keeps getting murkier and murkier, uh, murkier, <laughs> murkier <laughs> the, the more you look at it. Yeah. <laughs> so moral of the story on, on the COVID update is that nothing is quite certain, but I do think you gave listeners just, just good things to think about, you know, and, and contemplate as we move forward. Yeah. I mean, it's, this is one of those things that, um, it's not certain of what's going on. Things are still changing drastically. Maybe it's not in the news as much as it was in the very beginning of this pandemic, but um, things are changing pretty rapidly still. Um, and this is one of those things that we, yeah, we, we do just really need to stop, step, take a step back and, and, and think about the second and the, and the third order ramifications of what can happen with these uh, if we start mandating that our employees take these vaccines. And, and it's, it's, a lot, it's a lot different than just, okay, can I make them do this? But also, as I said, maybe maybe not, but an angry employee. Maybe you know who knows what's going on. And so now we need to start thinking about all of these, you know, these secondary and tertiary kind of uh, you know ramifications. And so, yeah, um, it's it's an it's an interesting time, <laughs> to say yeah, the least. To say the least. Well, <laughs> we really appreciate you taking the time to be on, and um, I just want to remind our members and and our listeners that. If they do have any questions, anything that's operation specific, they're more than welcome to give me a call and I can help connect them with Kevin. Um, and I'm sure as, as you've been through this entire process, really willing to answer questions and willing to be helpful, which we, we appreciate. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks again and thanks for your time. Thank you very much, Darby. You have a good day. Did you know that you can turn your dairy manure into cash? Bennett Environmental is offering above-ground dairy digesters at no cost to you. These systems can also remove nitrates from your lagoons to help you comply with water board regulations. Our proven above-ground technology will generate income for your dairy into the foreseeable future. Because we truck the renewable natural gas off-site, your dairy can profit regardless of your location. Bennett Environmental, turning your wastewater liabilities into sustainable assets. Learn more at bennett-environmental.com. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Seen and Heard, industry updates for the modern dairy family. 
We want to give a big shout out to our contributors this week, Tiffany LaMandola, our awesome economist with Blimling and Associates, and Kevin Piercy, our friend over at Ramundo and Associates. Remember that you can always send feedback to Seen and Heard in the form of questions, comments, and content requests. We love to receive your emails. You can reach Darby at D-A-R-B-Y at wudairies.com or Melissa, M-L-E-M-A at wudairies.com. We'd also appreciate if you rate, review, and subscribe to Seen and Heard on your favorite listening platform. Thanks again and have a great week, everybody. While West United Dairies respects the varied views of our podcast guests, please know that views expressed on Seen and Heard may not necessarily reflect the positions of the West United Dairies Board of Directors. Thank you to Western United Dairies' generous business sponsors, Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, Farm Credit Alliance, FNR Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, Bennett Environmental, PG&E, and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at wudairies.com. That's info at wudairies.com.